Firstly, reflecting on last week, our first time here, uh, folks, you responded fantastically uh, to this change of venue. I know for some of you it wouldn't have been your first choice and you may still have some reservations, but it didn't make any difference. You came and you got stuck in, you participated. And I believe that's because Jesus has taught us that as a church, we're not just a bunch of individuals uh, seeking our own preferences, but we're the body of Christ. And we have an understanding that when God speaks to us, then we move together as a body. And uh, so I'm so grateful that you've got stuck in and you've come and you've supported it. And uh, I believe God, God will bless us uh, because of that. It's been really, really magnificent. So thank you very much. I've said this before. We may only be a small church, but I thank God I'm part of this church. Honestly, you are a fantastic bunch of people, really. Absolutely superb. You may not think you are, but you are. Maybe one of you do think you are, but I don't know. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but honestly, I feel incredibly privileged to be part of this church. It's really, really good. The other thing I want to say is that um, next week is a very special Sunday. Uh, Joe and I are reflecting on the fact that we've been here nine years. We've been in the church nine years. Where's it all gone? I really don't know. But as I've said before, part of the mandate was that uh, we were to raise up younger leaders. That was the aim. And I know we've talked about this before, Steve and Jenny coming and so on. But I'm really thrilled that we've come to the place where not only is Steve an elder, but he's going to lead the team of elders. That doesn't mean that David and I get less work to do, but what it means is that a younger generation, somebody from a younger generation, is spearheading the thinking, the praying, the talking, and so on. And I believe that will bless the church. It's important that we let, allow the younger generation to come through. And um, I know I'm speaking for David, but we've come to love Steve in the meetings. He's a very humble man, uh, very teachable and yet very clear uh, as to where God is calling us uh, and how God is using him. So I'm really looking forward to next week. Okay, There's a big load will fall off my shoulders. You see, you'll notice it, uh, no doubt. But Graham Hall is coming. Graham Hall is coming to help us. But uh, it, this is a really significant time for us and I'm so grateful that we've come to this point. We've prayed that God would uh, give us younger leaders and uh, this is what's happened. So praise God for that. Right, so to our subject this morning, which was a question mark on the screen because I didn't get round to tell Paul what it was. That's the only reason, all right? Got kind of busy. So um, if Helen will put the, a text on the screen, or part of it anyway. Right, you read that, can't you? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, or all men will know that you're Christians, you're a Christian. Well, they'll know if we have a fish in the back of our car, won't they? Either in the window or on the back of the car. That's how we tell people that we're Christians. Or we wear a cross. You know, the, the most significant symbol of the church, we wear a cross. And remember the whole hoo-ha about somebody working for an airline because they couldn't wear their cross? All right, so it's probably because that tells people that we're Christians 
Uh, or maybe it's our neighbours notice that we're missing every Sunday morning and they discover that we go to church and they talk among themselves and say they're real Christians because they go to church every Sunday morning. Or maybe um, we're, it, it's slightly more public, maybe we're one of those people uh, that really get themselves stuck into the community, we're always there helping uh, people who are disadvantaged and so on. Very high profile in that. And people say it's a really Christian act. Now there's nothing wrong with any of those things, right? Uh, not at all. But we know that's not what Jesus said, is it? So if I, if I re- say this part now, can you, re- can you complete it? Now the problem here is there is more than one translation of the Bible that you have. But we'll see how we go. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if... Mm. Well, that was a bit feeble, wasn't it? Eh? No, 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 no. Oh, Helen, put it on the screen, please. That's it, thank you. Okay. All right. If you love one another, and that's going to be a kind of overriding theme of what we're uh, talking about this morning. Father God, we thank you. Father, thank you that we're your disciples. Thank you, as we've already heard, you. We didn't choose you, but you chose us and appointed us that we might bear fruit. And Lord, that's our desire. And we pray as we look into your word this morning, as we talk about these things, that you will impress on our hearts again how much we should love one another. Lord, help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Um, What I'm going to talk about this morning is nothing new. Uh, It's old hat for many of you. But the gospel that we proclaim and living out the gospel in our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ we have to apply that in every situation the gospel is applicable as we know in every situation of life it doesn't matter what it is then the personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ that is applicable uh, in every situation of life and the apostle Paul is a bit of an example of this Um, In the Acts of the Apostles, we read of Paul's travellings. Most of the Acts is taken up uh, with his travels. And the Apostle Paul, having been converted on the Damascus Road, had a passion to preach Jesus in places where Jesus was not known. That was his passion. And we see him uh, travelling around the known world at that time, uh, preaching the gospel, making disciples, planting churches, going back and reinforcing those churches, encouraging them. But then later in his life, we find that he is in prison. Some of the letters that he wrote, he wrote from prison. The letters to encourage the church or even to bring correction sometimes. He speaks from prison. And the letter to, his letter to the Philippians was written in prison. But that did not stop um, Paul being a witness to Jesus Christ, the fact that he was confined in prison. And we read there, he said... Being in prison here is actually an advantage for the gospel because the whole palace guard, and including a number of other people, now know why I'm in chains. They know because I belong to Jesus. So it's applicable in every circumstance. Now we have something of a change of circumstance, not from freedom to prison, but a slightly different circumstance. So we're going to look at what really would be familiar truths to most of you, Uh, and uh, which need to be lived out in our new situation and just see maybe what some of the challenges are for us. 
So new situation and new challenges. Well, the first challenge that we've realised is very practical. It's very practical. We've come from a building that we have fashioned to meet our needs. We've made it comfortable and convenient. Much of what we needed was there installed and so on. We didn't have to bring very much with us and it was quite comfortable, not just for our needs, but we hoped that others would appreciate that too. That building was used by by, by people in the community. But we've now come to a situation um, where there is more work, uh, more people, more time involved in transporting a lot of what we need here backwards and forwards setting it up. And uh, that, fa- that causes us to face a challenge. We've done it for two weeks. Um, we will be doing it for the foreseeable future. And that's when the rub comes. Uh, how long can we keep this up? That is the challenge uh, that we are faced with the practical um, considerations of, of being here. Then you might call what you might call the gospel challenges. Uh, Our mission statement begins living life Jesus' way. Now, of course, that is of benefit to us, first of all. We come into a living relationship with God through Jesus Christ and God shows us how to live better, how we live our lives to please him, how we uh, move away from things that are harmful in our lives, uh, how we are able to relate to people we couldn't relate to before because God helps us as sons and daughters of the living God as we carry on uh, his mission. But also, it's because it is a witness to the world. Living life Jesus' way is a witness to the world. In Acts chapter 1, when Jesus uh, met with his disciples after he uh, had risen from the dead uh, and was about to go back to the Father, about to be ascended into heaven, he met with his disciples and he said, Um, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Now we've kind of corrupted that word a bit. We say, I'm going to witness to that person. I think that's a bit of a corruption of the English actually. He didn't say you are going to witness to people but you are going to be a witness. You're going to be a witness. He said you'll be a witness in Jerusalem. That's the immediate vicinity. Uh, in all Judea, the surrounding countryside, in Samaria, uh, which was an alien land a bit, Jews didn't get on with the Samaritans, and to the ends of the earth, the uttermost parts of the earth. And that speaks to us of the scope of the witness of disciples that they are to Jesus Christ in the whole of the world. But I believe it also speaks to us that our witness is in every situation, every situation. So, We are not a witness when we suddenly decide that we'll share Jesus with somebody. We are a witness 24-7, right? That that is what we are, for good or bad. We are witnesses at home, at work, uh, in the shops, wherever. We are witnesses uh, to Jesus Christ. And if people know that we're Christians, then, if you like, we're on display to some extent. They're wondering, well, what's different about these people? Um, a vital part of our witness of course is as we live together as a community of God's people in love and unity and that's really what we're going to be looking at this morning I've got three headings we'll see from scripture that the 
The, the success of the gospel, to some degree, depends on the way we live together in love and unity. Now, there are people who come to faith when they've never come across a Christian, and hardly, and they've certainly not had any involvement with the church. It may be a Gideon Bible, hey Tony, in a, in a hotel room. They never intended to pick it up, but they did, and God speaks to them, and they're saved. But the majority of people come to faith because they have met a Christian or they've come in contact with the Christian church. And the way we live depends, the, the gospel depends on the way we live. The second thing is how we are to express our love and unity to one another. And thirdly, how Jesus dramatically demonstrated his love for his disciples. So the first one, the success of the gospel depends on it. Jesus indicated to his disciples that his credibility and acceptance by people in the future rested to some extent on the way they behaved towards one another and how they loved one another. And frankly, there is, there is something wrong if we present a message, we preach a message, and people can't see that worked out in our lives at all. They can't see it worked out. And this is particularly true of the gospel. Because what we say to people is, if you come to Christ, your life will be transformed. You will not be the same. Right? You will be born again. You will have a new purpose, a new life, new motivation, new relationship. Everything, the Bible says, everything becomes new. Therefore, people ought to be able to see that. If they cannot see that in some measure in us when we're preaching the gospel or whatever, then we undermine the message, don't we? We are the message as much as the word is the message. The, the word has to become flesh in us and people must see it to some extent. Uh, maybe it's a little bit like if I was to give you now a lecture on cookery, not do a demonstration, but give you all the details, all the ingredients, how much and so on, but you knew in your heart that I make a real mess of beans on toast, then it, it, it undermines my message, doesn't it? Okay, that's a, a silly illustration. But Jesus said this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then our text, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So it isn't the fish, it's not the cross, it's if we love one another. And see how vital that is. People will know that we're genuine disciples. At the, um, towards the end of Jesus' life here on earth, he gathered his disciples in the upper room for what we call the, the Last Supper. And in John's Gospel, Jesus preaches lots, teaches them lots of things, particularly about the Holy Spirit. But at one point, the disciples are, are privy to a prayer that Jesus prayed to the Father. It's a wonderful prayer. But in the middle of it, he says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us, isn't it? We are those who believe in Jesus because of the message of the apostles. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, 
that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them as much as you love me. So if we are not living in love and unity together, people will doubt that God ever came in the flesh, that God ever became a man, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now our love and unity will be tested Maybe it'd be tested a bit more here than back at the Beacon Centre because there's lots more to do. Maybe we'll get a bit frustrated with one another for one reason or another. So maybe th- this will be a bigger testing time, I don't know. But it will also be observed. Um, I don't know if there are any staff around here, but our aim uh, is to make contact with that community out there, isn't it? And one way, either together or individually, and hopefully that we will be able to draw people into events and things here. And they will be observing us. Is, are these people any different, or is it just like the club down the road or whatever? So it's a real challenge. So then, next point, how we are to express our love and unity. If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 3. I've said this before, but it's very important that we, we note it. All right. Okay, Colossians chapter 3. <laughs> um, it, it's very important that we realise that much of the teaching in the New Testament about how we live and grow as disciples of Jesus Christ is in the context of the church. How we behave with other Christians in the church. Uh, it, it's the nursery for growing as disciples of Jesus Christ. It's the proving ground very often, as of, of whether uh, we really belong to God. I mean, in John, uh, in one of his letters, says, you know, if you say you love God, but you don't love your brother or you hate your brother, then you're a liar. Okay, so our relationship in the church is very important for our discipleship. Verse 12, Colossians 3, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. We know why we should forgive one another because we have been forgiven so much by God. Jesus told a parable about it Uh, And we know that for a fact. And when we realise how much God has forgiven us, then it helps us to forgive others. Doesn't our world need forgiveness? I'm just pulling this out as an example, really. Doesn't the world need forgiveness? And it always grieves me to hear somebody on the news, perhaps, who's been um, maybe severely hurt in some way, and yet they say, I'm never going to forgive them. I'm never going to forgive them. And you think, well, um, that's, that's an impasse. Nothing's, nothing's going to happen now, is it? And of course, the person who won't forgive is going to live in bitterness and anger and resentment. And maybe the person that needs to be forgiven is having a wonderful life. <laughs> you don't know, do you? But we look around our world and we see the mess that the nations are in, particularly in the Middle East. Doesn't there need to be forgiveness? So there are some wonderful things here that are mentioned that are the way that we should live. And of course, Jesus 
modelled much of those things. But that's not what I want to highlight this morning. It's not on that list. And it's a way that Jesus taught his disciples and actually demonstrated it to his disciples. Jesus had a unique mission to save us from the consequences of sin. Uh, He was the spotless lamb, as the Bible said. There had to be a perfect lamb, a perfect human being who was worthy to lay down his life for our sins. So Jesus, it's, it's not re- his act is not repeatable. We cannot copy it. Uh, the old hymn says, there was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. Only he could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. Nevertheless, the Bible says, and the Bible teaches, and the apostles teach, that the attitude and the manner in which Jesus laid down his life and gave his life is something for us to emulate. It's something for us to copy. We need to see it. So turn to Philippians, a couple of pages back, if you're still open. Chapter 2, again a very familiar passage. Philippians chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ if any comfort in his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. That means you're truly a child of God, enjoying uh, the fullness and the presence of God. Then make my joy complete, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. And here we have it. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That means he didn't take advantage of the fact that he was God, while he was in human form here on earth. He didn't take advantage of it, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you see that the way up was down. Jesus humbled himself, became a man, became a servant, and humbled himself further, offering himself as a sacrifice on the cross. Now to have a servant heart may not be natural for us right Uh, that may not come natural for us and sadly uh, in the church that the church has been damaged terribly by people who have worldly ambition it happens and we perhaps we've all seen it Um, Paul Paul says here you know uh, do not do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit And Jesus met this in his disciples. If you turn to Mark chapter 10. 
Mark chapter 10 and verse 35. Jesus had to deal with two of his disciples who thought they'd get a word in here and um, they put their names down for places of honour in the kingdom of God. Okay, we've got the master here. Uh, We're his friends. Surely he's going to give us some special places in the kingdom of God. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Then we move down to verse 41. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve us. Not just in the ways that we're going to look at at the moment, but he came to serve us in salvation. Uh, and we'll look at that in more detail in a moment. John P- uh, Peter says this, All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. We clothe ourselves with humility towards one another. This is the church. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I don't want to be opposed by God. I don't know about you. So this is worth noting, isn't it? Humble yourselves. Don't wait for God to humble you. (laughs) Try and find ways to humble yourself. Because if we say to God, please humble me, um, I'm not sure what will happen. Uh, We might get what we don't uh, expect. But humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So it's the way up is down again. The way up is down. If you want to be great, you need to be servant of all in the kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom, isn't it? The kingdom of God, it's the servants. It's the servants who are greater than all. It's just something that I realise. I think it's in Luke's Gospel. But Jesus, talking about the coming kingdom talks about himself where people are around the table. Um, he says he will dress himself, right? I think in an apron or whatever, and he will serve the disciples. This is in the kingdom of God. The, the Son of Man is still going to serve us in the kingdom of God. That's a little aside, really. So how Jesus dramatically demonstrated his love for his disciples... So if you turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Again, uh, this is the Last Supper. And I said, there's, there's a lot of teaching from Jesus to his disciples around that time. So verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. 
If we didn't know the whole story or didn't know what was around this, we would say, great, he's done his work, he's now going home to dad. That must be really great. But of course we know what was to happen the next day. And Jesus fully knew, because he told his disciples, he fully knew the horrors of the next day. And of course, a bit later, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is in absolute anguish because he's anticipating the next day, uh, being betrayed and arrested and tried and and the rest of it. Uh, So Jesus fully knew what was coming. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm anxious about something or worried, I find it hard to think about other people. I'm rather consumed with myself. But in spite of what was happening, Jesus is loving and serving his disciples and teaching them a very important lesson. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Would we not say that the full extent of Jesus' love is dying on the cross? That, if you said, what, how did Jesus show the full extent of his love? We would say, well, giving himself on the cross uh, as our substitute. That, that must be it in some ways. Um, and that's backed up by words from the apostles. Uh, Paul says to the Romans, um, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is expressed in the sacrifice of Jesus. And then John says this, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. What I believe that Jesus was uh, doing here was a man among men. This is Jesus in his humanity serving his disciples in humility. This doesn't take away from the importance of the cross, obviously, but it was the full extent of his love as a man among men. Um, Some versions uh, have it that um, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's another another version. Now, we realise that Jesus fully knew and even predicted that his disciples would let him down. We all know this, don't we? Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. The others ran away. Jesus knew that, but he loved them to the end. And that should be a wonderful message for us too, that we know that we let God down, we let Jesus down, and that probably we'll let him down again. But his love for us is not diminished by our poor performance. That's so important. Jesus' love for us, he will love us to the end because he chose us and he is committed to us. That's not that we should be casual about our life and about sin and so on, far from it. But Jesus will love us to the end as he loved his disciples. So Jesus in his humanity wants to demonstrate something to his disciples that they can emulate. Not God saving the world, but people loving each other in the context of the Christian community. We read on, The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus has the highest authority in the whole universe. He has infinite power. 
he is, that there is none higher than him. But the knowledge, he had perfect self-knowledge. Jesus, by this time, knew exactly who he was. But this in no way caused him to set himself above carrying out a menial task for the disciples because he was still at heart uh, a servant. And um, what we read about now is um, what a servant would have done in the household. Uh, It was a very dusty land, people wore sandals, and the master of the house uh, would give this courtesy to his guest that as they come, he would order a slave to wash their feet. It was a common thing. It was a common courtesy. Uh, but what we find is that the disciples weren't quick to do this either. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Um, Peter was um, amazed that Jesus would do this. He was appalled that Jesus would wash his feet. Now, presumably, there was no slave in the household, and under normal circumstances, where a master had disciples, and it was quite common in those days for teachers to gather disciples, the disciples would serve the master. Uh, But here, not even the disciples were prepared uh, to carry out this common uh, courtesy uh, among them. And so Jesus does it himself. But Peter protests. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Sorry, I've missed verse 7. Jesus replied, You do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Well, surely Peter understood about washing feet, and Jesus was demeaning himself a bit here by washing our feet. But this suggests that this was a symbolic act in some ways, that it had much, much uh, deeper meaning. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And this is where I believe Jesus is indicating that expressing humility here, making himself humble in the presence of his disciples, was prefiguring something else, where he would humble himself and go to the cross. Uh, He would humiliate himself in a humiliating death, bringing cleansing not from dirt but from sin. So Jesus came to serve us in salvation. Jesus came to serve us in salvation. He says to Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And unless we let Jesus do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, we have no part in him. We cannot save ourselves, we know. We ca- even if at this point we could live perfectly, our lives have dirty stains of sin on them. We could never get rid of those, but Jesus can. And we must allow Jesus to serve us. If we don't allow him to serve us, then we have no part in him. If we think that in some way we can save ourselves or we can add to it, then we diminish the work of Jesus in our lives 
and we can't really say that we're genuine Christians or that we're saved. We must allow Jesus to serve us in salvation. Further down we read, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. We must allow Jesus to serve us. I, like Janet, pretty well at the same time, had an operation. And um, amazing surgery, uh, a very expert surgeon with lots of wonderful equipment. But I had to submit to him uh, if he was going to help me. Uh, I had to submit to the anaesthetic. I had to say, I'm helpless now. I can do absolutely nothing. I trust you that you will do me good. Right? And that's how we must come to Jesus. We must receive him. Uh, otherwise, he cannot do us good. We receive him. So when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus chose to demonstrate his love by serving them with some menial task. Now, of course, um, there are some traditions, Christian traditions, where people actually wash feet, aren't there? It would usually be the leaders, uh, as Jesus would, would wash the feet uh, of the congregation. Okay? Uh, and um, I, I have a feeling that the new Archbishop of Canterbury did that in some setting recently, didn't he? And, of course, that is a symbolic act. Um, Jesus wasn't saying, you must do this as a ritual every so often. Now, I'm not knocking that. Um, it, it, that, that is a very good act. But it symbolises our attitude towards one another, that we're prepared uh, to carry out the most menial task uh, for one another. Now, I believe that, as a church, we work well together, uh, we play our part, and so on. But I guess even in new circumstances, we need to be reminded of these truths, uh, that, uh, that Jesus called us to love one another and to humble ourselves to one another and to live in unity. I don't know what challenges we'll face here, but, but let me put it down to a low level. If we go into the toilet and we find it's a bit dirty, uh, what do we say? Well, it's a school toilet, let the school clean it. Or do we say, I don't want my brothers and sisters to experience this dirty toilet. I'll give it a clean. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying. But there will be ways in which, small ways perhaps, in which we can serve one another. Maybe there will be big ways. And I think being here, there will be more opportunity to serve one another. And the most important thing is this. It is our, part of our witness to the world. That, that we love one another, we serve one another, and I trust that as we gradually make contact with the people around here, that they will notice that there is something different. Of course, we will serve them as well. We'll go out of our way to serve them. But God help us uh, to obey the Lord Jesus. As I uh, have loved you, so love one another. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the 
amazing humility of our Saviour. He didn't flinch at showing us how we should live amongst one another. He didn't flinch from that, but humbled himself, carried out the most menial task. Father God, he has elevated the menial tasks to such a level. Lord, give us joy as we serve one another. Lord, no reservations, but we serve one another in love. And may this love and unity testify to the fact that Jesus has come in the flesh. He is the Saviour of the world. Amen. Thank you.